Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel, and I'm joined by Eminence, Bill Werner, Brent Palm, Ashley Walker, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the Minnesota Department of Health has confirmed new cases of measles. A U of M study suggests COVID deaths could be much higher than what's on record. The Gopher baseball season opens this weekend, but first. Lawmakers came back to the state capitol this week and Eminence Bill Werner reports the opening of the 2024 legislative session brought dessert first and a plate of hot button issues that could run through May adjournment into the November election. Tasha, about 15 minutes before the opening gavel, Governor Tim Walls was working the hallways and the chambers with a pan of apple blondie bars. In honor of our champion of the bonding bill, so here we go. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good to see you, Dean. You like How you doing? The governor offering a sweet treat to Representative Dean Erdahl, lead Republican on the House Capital Investment Committee. The main assigned task of this legislative session is a bonding bill for infrastructure projects, and Democrats need Republican votes to pass it. As lawmakers got going outside the House and Senate chambers. My daughter now has fewer rights than I have enjoyed. And so we would like our values, what we believe are Minnesota values, enshrined in our, in our foundational document. Kate Quinlan Laird from Minneapolis among those rallying for an equal rights amendment to the Minnesota Constitution. Democrats appear ready to move ahead this session to put a combined equal rights and abortion rights constitutional amendment before voters. House Speaker Melissa Hortman. Now, of course, you know, we have narrow majorities in the House and the Senate, so no outcome on any issue is guaranteed, but I believe that we will be putting a question on the ballot for 2026. And will it be in 2026? because Democrats are worried that having that issue on the ballot this fall could pull more Trump supporters to the polls. No, I think that the Biden-Trump election will be driven by the Biden-Trump issues. But Senate Republican Minority Leader Mark Johnson has a different take on that. This is just their way of playing political games, it seems like. Uh, let's kick this out into the 26 election season. The House will come to order. The House had not been in session more than about five minutes when Republicans tried to block a highly controversial bill. I would request a separate vote be taken on the committee report relating to HF 1930, and I request a roll call. That bill is dubbed end-of-life options, and Minority Leader Lisa Damoth said Democrats could have had hearings over the summer about reducing taxes or the school resource officer fix. But instead, the only bill that was given a hearing during the interim was one on physician-assisted suicide. Rochester Democrat Tina Liebling responded, We gave this bill a hearing during the interim because we knew that we have a lot of work to do this session, and this was a bill that really needed a lot of time for people to weigh in, and indeed we heard it for, I think, about four, maybe five hours. We allowed people to testify. We took testimony from about 70 or 80 people, I believe. The Democratic majority voted to let that bill live, but its prospects are far from certain in 2024. Governor Walls said legislation for end-of-life options is worth looking at, recalling his teen years when his father was dying of lung cancer. No options other than massive medical bills and pain and a death in a hospital. But fellow Democrat Senate Majority Leader Aaron Murphy says she suspects it will take time for Minnesotans to reconcile how they feel about end-of-life options. We're at the beginning of uh, a process that will probably take more than one year. 
uh, before we're in a place where we can adapt it. But the issue that probably got the most news coverage in this first week of the 2024 session was a holdover from last year. Attempts to clarify a state law passed just last session governing use of force by on-site school resource officers. We heard our governor say that he wanted a quick fix on this. A quick fix would have been a special session the end of August. That did not happen. The impetus for a law that is not even one year old is what happened to George Floyd, which prompted lawmakers in 2023 to prohibit on-site school resource officers from using prone restraints on violent students. But some legal experts warn that brand new law conflicts with another long-standing and more general statute that applies to all officers, allowing them to use an appropriate level of force if necessary to protect someone from great bodily harm or death. Attorney General Keith Ellison assured officers assigned to schools that they still have that same latitude as their colleagues off school grounds to use force if necessary. But some law enforcement agencies were not convinced and they pulled their on-site officers out of some school districts. Because they felt they had no choice and to put their, their officers in peril for some kind of lawsuit and for some kind of personal damage for doing what they thought was truly the best. Republican Senator Jim Abler from Anoka. Lawmakers of both parties agree they want on-site officers back in districts where school officials have authorized them. And the bill Democrats brought forward this week would eliminate the restriction on school-based officers using prone restraints, sending the issue to the Police Officer Standards and Training, or POST Board, to develop a statewide policy for all law enforcement agencies. That didn't cut it with Coolia Pringle from the National Parents Union, who told lawmakers legislation passed just last year restricting use of chokeholds and prone restraints on students is, quote, a no-brainer, and now we are playing politics with the lives of children. In what world do we live in where we as a society say we shouldn't use prone restraints on, on, on adult prisoners, but we can use the same tactics on our children? But State Public Safety Commissioner Bob Jacobson argues a statewide policy is the approach to take. It creates clear duties for SROs and schools. It provides training requirements that are focused on school settings and working with students. But Albertville Republican Walter Hudson warns under Democrats' plan, a decision on use of force standards for school resource officers will not be made in a public forum at the legislature. All you're going to have to do is influence your activist friends who have been appointed by the governor to the post board. And they'll be able to make up any rule they want. Elk River Republican Paul Novotny contends school resource officers must have latitude to use force if necessary to protect someone from bodily harm or death. If we want the kids not to go to prison, how about if they can go and learn and not have to worry about a fight or if they're going to get jumped in a bathroom? Novotny says 94% of students want on-site officers back in the schools. But Matt Shaver with Ed Allies says... The Minnesota Student Survey didn't ask students their thoughts on whether the adults in a school building should have the authority to hold them in face-down positions for nonviolent situations. We will see how long it takes for lawmakers to pass a bill aiming to fix the current problem. Tasha? More Minnesota Matters after this. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouthful, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. 
For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit twomen2x.org. That's twomen2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Miles, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. A lot of people are talking about measles after the Minnesota Department of Health reported the first new cases in two years this week. Up next, MN's Brent Palm talks with a state health official about measles and whether Minnesotans should be concerned about possible exposure. Minnesota Department of Health Senior Epidemiologist Emily Banerjee, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, Emily, we heard this week that Minnesota had its first measles cases in almost two years. Can you tell us a few details about what you folks investigated and about those specific cases? Sure. So last week, um, the week of February 5th, the Minnesota Department of Health became aware of a measles case in a one-year-old who was unvaccinated and had recently traveled internationally. And then an unvaccinated sibling of that case has since developed symptoms and tested positive for measles also. So this family resides in the metro area, uh, and we are just continuing to work with our local public health partners, um, healthcare providers, and the family to identify and notify anyone who may have been exposed. Say right now, there's, you know, the risk to the general public from, from the, this situation is low. Okay, that's what I was going to ask, because people hear first measles cases in two years in Dakota County, but what you're saying is overall parents shouldn't be worried. Right, well, uh, yeah, at this time, in terms of exposures and, and risk to the general public, they shouldn't be worried. But it's always a good time to think about uh, vaccination. So measles vaccination is is, um, is the best way to protect yourself and your family um, because the, the risk is always there. Certainly, measles was declared eliminated in the U.S. in, in 2000. So that just means that it, it's no longer actively circulating here. Um, but it's still really common in other parts of the world. So in Minnesota, we, we get, you know, from one to four cases of measles a year, unless we're having a really big outbreak. And this is generally in people who travel to countries where measles is more common. But this, this really highlights the need for parents to make sure that their children are up to date on all of their childhood and school immunizations. The other point is that in the 2023-24 school year, only 87.2% of kindergarten students were fully vaccinated with MMR vaccine compared to 92.6% in 2019, so that was pre-pandemic. So this is likely due to people not getting in for routine, you know, well child visits during the pandemic. And so even a 5% drop in immunizations means that there are thousands more young people who could be vulnerable to disease because they're not vaccinated. So this is, you know, something to keep in mind. Hey, I read that these are the first cases since 2022 so does that mean we had zero in 2023? Correct. There are some years that we just don't get any cases because, as I mentioned, it's, measles is no longer actively circulating. Some years we don't have any cases, and that's great because it's been eliminated in the U.S. So any cases that we do get come from outside travel. And then when, when we get imported cases, we work with our you know, public health partners to contain any spread that might happen so that a big outbreak doesn't start um, because we don't want measles to start actively circulating Again, we want to keep that, that, those vaccination um, rates high so that measles doesn't become common again in the United States. So that's why it's so important, because we do have a very safe and effective vaccine available, and, and we need to keep our rates high in order 
to keep measles out of the United States. And I, I know there was a little bit of a anti-vax movement during COVID-19, but I've never heard people protesting against the measles vaccine. Well, there, uh, there have been quite... Um, there has been quite a movement, actually, against the MMR vaccine. Um, but the people that are anti-vaccine are just very, um, you know, very vocal about their opinions. But most people in Minnesota are very pro-vaccine. Hey, can you say, I, I know this 16-month-old child had been hospitalized. Do we know how that child and the sibling are doing today? They're doing well. They're doing well. Yep. That's, I can say that they're, they're doing fine right now. Yep. Both doing well. Are there certain countries where measles is common? Because you made it sound like, and you don't really hear about it any anymore here in the U.S. Sure. Yeah. So, so for example, the World Health Organization reported a, a 45-fold increase in measles cases in the European region last year. So this was a, uh, you know, they recorded over 42,000 cases in 2023 as compared to 940 cases in 2022, and similar increase was seen in other regions of the world as well. So um, Africa, Asia, um, really there are massive outbreaks going on in many, many of the world's regions. So, and then people are traveling and just measles is anywhere in the world is a threat everywhere. And so that's why it's so important to keep vaccination rates high in places where it's been considered eliminated so that it doesn't become common here anymore. Now you're, you're hearing news articles about imported cases in the U.S., and there has been um, an increase in imported cases in the U.S. Since December of 2023, multiple states have reported an increase in measles cases. So this is just reflective of that significant rise in measles outbreaks occurring globally in 2023. Because more people are traveling, then they come back to the U.S., and then a case happens in California, a case happens in Pennsylvania. And then public health works really hard to contain the spread, doing contact tracing, offering post-exposure prophylaxis to try to contain the spread so that big outbreaks don't occur. Hey, Emily, if uh, people want to learn more, do folks have information about measles on the Minnesota Department of Health website? Yes, we do. We have lots of information on our website about measles disease and measles vaccine. Minnesota Department of Health Senior Epidemiologist Emily Banerjee. Hey, thanks for uh, joining us and dropping some information about measles on us. Thanks so much for having me. MNN's Brent Palm visiting with MDH Epidemiologist Emily Banerjee. More Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. A new study from the University of Minnesota states the number of COVID-19 deaths reported during the core years of the pandemic may be much higher than what's on record. MNN's Ashley Walker spoke to U of M Associate Professor of Sociology Elizabeth Wrigley-Field about why and how the nearly 1.2 million deaths went undercounted. So you guys are looking at the first 30 months of the pandemic, which you call the core years of the COVID-19 disease, and finding that the death count isn't as accurate as you thought. That's right. So um, everyone in this research area thinks that the deaths were undercounted, um, but were they undercounted by a little bit or a lot has been a lot less clear. And it makes sense that they would be undercounted because a lot of deaths happened in a context where testing wasn't always available. Um, where not everyone um, was connected with the formal medical system because either they were trying to avoid hospitals due to fear of COVID or because the hospitals were in um, disarray and medical systems were in disarray um, as they were sort of throughout 
big chunks of the acute phase of the pandemic, um, and also because we have a really decentralized death reporting system in the United States. So for all these reasons, we sort of would expect them to be undercounted, but it's been hard to figure out by how much and how do we know. And so that's the context in which we did this study. And I'm curious, after all this research, what do you say to people who think a lot of the deaths during the pandemic accredited to COVID were actually overcounted instead of undercounted? Um, our analysis suggests that that is not plausible. Um, so there can be, so let me give a little bit of context about how causes of death are reported. Um, on a death certificate, um, the death certifier lists what they see as the underlying cause and also contributing causes. Um, in almost all of the COVID deaths early on, COVID was listed as the underlying cause. So if someone was dying of COVID, that was considered to be the major cause of death. As the pandemic goes on, it is becomes a little bit more common than it had been for it to be listed as a contributing cause. So that would mean, for example, um, that um, the person um, had some serious illness already, they might have already been in a process of decline and COVID maybe hastened that and COVID was a contributor, but it wasn't considered to be like the major pathway to death. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about whether people who happened to be COVID-19 positive sort of incidentally were tagged as being a COVID-19 death when they should should not have been. And there hasn't been a lot of evidence of this. And it's worth saying just that the way that death certificates are supposed to work, you shouldn't be listed as a COVID-19 death if it wasn't actually a contributor to the death. So that's the task of the death certifier. Um, and early on, I looked for cases in our Minnesota deaths database. Um, this is separate from the study that um, you and I are talking about now uses national data, but I've also done a lot of studies of Minnesota where we had the individual level death records, and so we had all the sort of full detail of what happened. And I looked for cases where it seemed like someone was being considered a COVID death who maybe shouldn't have been when you got into the granular detail. And even the ones that at first looked like, oh, maybe that would be it, uh, it turned out when you looked a little closer, that wasn't right. So an example would be someone is an external cause of death um, and they're also listed as a COVID death. And you might think like, how could that be? Um, is this someone who just incidentally had COVID? But actually those were cases where this is someone in a nursing home who has COVID, who falls um, out of bed in the context of like COVID-19 delirium. So COVID is a contributing cause to that death. And those actually were very rare, but that's the kind of thing where, I mean, like, even even when you think like, oh, maybe this is the sort of case that people are talking about, the COVID death that wasn't really a COVID death. When you look at the details, actually, that's not quite right. When looking at the study as a whole, what did you find? We looked at the first 30 months of the pandemic, so um, a year and a half, uh, sorry, two and a half years. And what we found is that in that period of time, there were about 1.2 million excess deaths, meaning these are extra deaths that you would not have expected there to be if there hadn't been a pandemic. And um, excess deaths is the way that we estimate the size of a disaster that is so vast that we can't just sort of say, who are all the individuals, but we look at in the aggregate how many more deaths happened than there should have been. So of those 1.2 million excess deaths, the vast majority of them were actually directly attributed to COVID on the death certificate. 
um, more than six in seven of them were. But that means that almost one in seven were not. And so it's that almost one in seven that we were interested in. So these excess deaths that were not considered to have been COVID, what were they really? One of the things that we found um, is that when those deaths happened was really tightly associated with when the COVID surges were happening. So it's not like these extra deaths were sort of like throughout the period of um, the pandemic or that they were concentrated during periods of relatively heavier lockdown, but not during relatively lighter periods of social control. They actually match very closely with when the waves of COVID deaths were. Wrigley Field makes it clear she believes the United States has a very decentralized and patchwork medical and health systems that extends to death reporting and how death certificates are ultimately filled out. Time for our last break. More Minnesota Matters after this. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve, it's now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. Golden Gopher Baseball opens the season this weekend at a tournament in Arizona, embarking on the final season for legendary head coach John Anderson, who spoke to Eminem Sports Director Mike Grimm this week about wrapping up his career after 49 seasons with the program. You know, it's not something that I think you just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to retire. You know, yeah. I've always said I didn't want to stay too long. I don't, I've seen people stay too long when they really aren't making an impact or don't have the energy or the passion to do it any longer. So I've paid attention to that. And then also the pandemic was a really difficult time for everybody and what we went through and the games we lost and the shutdowns and all the things that happened. This wasn't a normal time there for two or three years. And and I just didn't want to walk out the door. And the kids then, I think if they needed some leadership, they needed some support. But, you know, it's been on my mind. There's never a good time. It's always going to impact others, whether it's current players in the team, whether it's people you recruited, whether it's your assistant coaches, there's whatever year you do it, mm-hmm. it's always going to impact somebody. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna be 69 in May. My dad passed away just short of 75th birthday. You know, has some friends and people that have been sick or passed away, and you start looking at it. And you know, I've been on this treadmill for a long time. You know, I felt like the program we've gotten it back to the baseline. I think we're more used to here after coming out of the pandemic and getting our roster back together, getting some experience, had a couple of good recruiting classes in a row. So I just felt like now was the time. You know, there's other things I want to do. My wife and I, we want to do some traveling. Our daughter lives in Denver. I want to spend more time with her. I want to reconnect some of my hobbies and connect with some lifelong friends and spend more time with family and friends. I don't think I'll be bored at all. So, you know, it's it's bittersweet. There's never a good time, but I think it's the right time uh, for me. And uh, to do it now before the season, um, was that just to get help everybody in terms of the planning? You know, yeah. I wanted the players to be able to digest it. I yeah. didn't, and after the season, there's so much emotion from just the season ending and the, whole, the parts that come with that. 
And I wanted the kids to have a chance over break, and I told them in the middle of December before they went home for break, I wanted them a chance to, to process it all. I told them in the, in the meeting when I talked to them, I don't want this to be about me and my last run around the bases. You know, I appreciate that. I appreciate the people that, you know, want to um, uh, support me in, in, in my last year. But I told them, this is about you. This is your team. This is the 2024 Golden Gopher baseball team. And um, this, I want to put my energy and effort in trying to help you have the best possible season you can and experience. And so I don't just be about winning another one for, you know, the Gipper or whatever. Let's just, let's make it about them. And so I felt like I, I, need, I wanted to get it out there. I wanted everybody to process it. I was tired of answering the question, to be perfectly honest with you, about when you're going to retire. So, And I had made my mind up. My wife and I had talked, and I had made my mind up. And my daughter, Erin, I had made my mind up this was going to be the last year. And I just felt like, well, let's do it now. Yeah. Let's get it out there. I have to answer the questions all season long and the speculation and uh, get everybody an opportunity to process it and, uh, and move ahead. And I think the guys have done a really good job of that. I think we're through the emotional part of that. Um, and I think now we can just focus on playing baseball in the season, as I said. I'm going to try to bring my best self, self every day and try to help these guys have a good good year. Yeah, in terms of that, um, to, to make it, as you mentioned, about the, the players, because certainly guys like me and other people in, in my profession are going to ask you about it even as the season moves on. It's uh, you, you know, You're hitting it head on here, but um, how do you as a coach try to, one, stay energized in this time uh, to get this team to play like you want them to play and let standard of go for baseball and then also try to shift the focus onto the team? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I think um, it's going to be important. Uh, we have a really challenging schedule, the first 22 games on the road with no U.S. Bank Stadium, which is really yeah. disappointing. That's a challenge in itself. We went through that when the dome collapsed. I think that was, what, in 12, 11 or 12, whenever that was, 12 maybe. And it's, it's a daunting uh, just in terms of the travel, changing time zones, getting home back. You plan Sundays. You don't get back to campus till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. The day off, a couple of days to rest, recover, practice, and then Thursday you're gone. You lose a whole day of player development time, practice time, every week. So yeah, I've thought about that. I really going to have to do a good job. Number one for myself, rest recovery. I really want to bring my best self. And uh, I think I've, I'm preparing myself for that as best I can. My focus isn't going to be on me and my last year. My focus is going to be what can I do to make this team the best possible team it can be and, and we can have the best year and they can have a great experience. You know, the program's been about stability. Look at, you know, had four head coaches in 90 years. So there's a little instability right now because nobody knows who the next coach is going to be and what that's going to look like. Some of the kids, obviously, they got careers. I'm sure there's their thoughts that are going along about what's going to happen here long term, who's going to be the coach. And uh, I think my job is going to be to try to keep them away from trying to worry about what's ahead of them and try to stay focused day to day on trying to win today. And that's be our very best today and let's learn and grow through the season the rest of that will take care of itself and then people can make their own decisions on what they want to do based on who the new leaders here so I think that's going to be my biggest challenge is to keep people from looking down the road too far we got a we got a difficult run here in the first 22 games and we're going to have to have our attention and focus on on, on our team and what we need to do to get better and grow and compete and and, and uh, try to have a good year yeah and as you mentioned that not to get too far down the road I'm going to ask you a question about too far down the road here um, do you how much do you want to have a say in who will be John Anderson's successor do you think you'll get some say in that or you want to leave that to the administration or I mean it's your program for you know 50 years here yeah Mark Coyle and I and Peyton Owens who's our my direct report we've talked and discussed and I think they'll they have to have a national search. That's university policy. They have to go through the, all the processes that come with that, and then um, they'll obviously take a look at the candidate pool and some of those things. And I've been told I'll be a part of trying to look at uh, some of the options there. So they they have indicated I'll be part of that process and uh, try to help 
and be a part of that. And obviously the program, I've spent my whole life here, my whole working life here. It means a great deal to me, um, obviously. And I'd like to see there be the, the, uh, the right leadership in place going forward. That's go for baseball coach John Anderson with MNN Sports Director Mike Graham. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us again next week on this MNN affiliate station, same time, same place. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Tasha Radel. Have a great week.